Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, January 4th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. That book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. You can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org, or you can email me at T-J-H at mindshiftersacademy.org, hyphen, mindshifters-academy.org. And or you can call us directly at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on the phone once you've gotten through, and that will let me know you have a comment or a question. 
if you send an email, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we appreciate whenever anybody calls in or sends us an email because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when we get direct feedback from you about what's working and what's not working or you might be stuck and what's providing the most value for you. So we have um, a switchboard that seems to be up and running. We have... uh, call in that seems to be working and we have yet another opportunity to discuss either worksheets worksheet processes mind goal management sheets three early memories of conflict sheets targeted journaling that michael calls the mind shifter or we can go back into working with the way of mastery we're reading it again this year reading through it slowly fairly deliberately with commentary and in the past few weeks we've worked our way into lesson five in the way of mastery and I was reading from it yesterday and and I should make a note here that we are Jeannie is exploring uh, transitioning to Podbean and yesterday's show is available on Podbean as well and it's working on my phone. I've listened to it from the download, and um, and and you might soon have a different way to connect with MindShifters Radio. It might be through Podbean rather than Blog Talk Radio. But if you have any comments, interests, and questions about that, emails to Jeannie at j e a n i e at yagain dot org and she can forward to you the informational email about Podbean and how to get it set up as an app on your phone or your computer, and she'll put you on the list so that you get the latest updates as that progresses. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1 on your phone, and or send us an email. I have um, a lot going on these days, a lot of uh, things happening in the patient load, a lot of people calling for sessions and desperate for help, and Lord knows if we can give it to them. There are more people asking for help than I have time or hours in the day to accommodate, and um, that's a big part of why we do uh, the mind shifter support groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays where we make access to these tools and this work available to people f- basically free of charge and um, this is a Thursday so there will be a support group tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time And if you or anybody you know has interest in joining us absolutely free through Zoom, let them know that all the information they would need to do that is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And it is worth noting that there is a separate information page for login for Tuesday and a separate one for Thursday. 
that has stymied a few people in the past and caused some delays in, or prevented them from being able to participate in the group because they're either trying to use it Thursday and photos log in on a Tuesday or vice versa. So, nobody raises a hand. I will come back to our reading that we were doing in the Way of Mastery, Lesson 5. And as I mentioned yesterday, the, the, the power of this work in Lesson 5 took me many, many repetitions of reading and um, meditating over and rereading before it, it started to sink into me what the differences were between these five different keys to the kingdom, or at least the first four. They seemed to keep blurring in my mind until I'd gone over the material enough that it started to make sense. So we started with the first key to the kingdom is desire and learning to identify what is this energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through me in each moment. The second key is intention. Just as I've learned to be distracted easily by all of the events in life, I need to practice learning to focus, to return my attention to the intention I have to be aligned with that creative energy and to frequently ask throughout the day, what is it that I most desire here? What am I committed to? Why am I on this planet? What's my role to play? And the third key is allowance. And that section of the book, the text reads, the third stage of the process, whereby the mind is wholly, completely, totally corrected, and one returns home, this is the stage of allowance. For the egoic world does not teach you to allow. It teaches you to strive. Now, earlier in lesson two or three, Yeshua talked about how when he was a child, he started to get seen as rebellious because he chose to quit striving for God and began to work at allowing God. He quit striving for connection to his creator, and he began to practice allowing a realization that that connection has never left him. So here we are in the fifth lesson again, coming back to the word allowance, to the process of allowance. And it says, this process this third stage of the process is where the mind is completely corrected and returns home and we call this the stage of allowance because it says the egoic world teaches you to strive the egoic world tells you you must be the maker and the doer the egoic world tells you you must find a way to manipulate or control your environment in order that it conform itself to the image that you are holding in your mind, in your little nine-bit mind, in your intellect. Again, in that part of your mind that's been programmed by your family and your culture and the traumas in your life. Well, 
that's not a very expansive mind. That's not a very open, loving, allowing mind. And what this, all of this work is pointing us to is that there is a greater mind. There is access to the Christ mind or the Holy Spirit or the one mind or the divine mind. Whatever word you call it, it isn't relevant. But it is something other than anything you can figure out with your conscious logical mind and with language. The text goes on here and says, all of that, what the the egoic part of your mind wants you to do, all of that's well and good. And there are many beings that learn some valuable lessons by following the path of teachers that will teach you that you can create whatever you want. And that will seem like such a big deal right up until the time that you realize that you've been doing that all the time. You are always creating exactly what you decree. It is no big deal, and it is not a secret. The text goes on and says, but there will be those that will teach you, quote, well, you just go into your mind and you ask yourself what you want and then you see that picture of the Mercedes and then you simply do all these little magical tricks and pretty soon you end up with a Mercedes, close quotes. Now the problem with that, as the text goes on and says, the problem with that is that although it can be a useful stage, that it is that intellect, that worldly part of your mind it can only desire what it has been programmed to desire. The worldly part of your mind says, well, I have to transport my body around this planet. Automobiles do that. The world tells me that a Mercedes is a grand way of doing that. Therefore, I will create a desire of wanting a Mercedes. And then when you manifest the Mercedes, you fool yourself into thinking that you've made great progress when in fact all you have done is all you have ever done. You've chosen what your experience will be and you have manifested it. There is nothing new about it. Although by doing so, you can begin to regain confidence in your ability to manifest. But Let's stick with the point of that paragraph for a few minutes here. If I just stick with my intellect and what's been programmed into it and what I've been taught to value and is focused on the material, then I'm stuck in a loop, in a prison of chasing after external and material things to try and get the peace, the calmness, the satisfaction, the love, the connection that I think I need or that I think I'm missing. Why do I think I'm missing it? Because I've been conditioned into believing that I'm not whole and complete the way I am. Why do I feel a lack of it? Because I start pouring my mind energy into thoughts about how it should be different and I should have more or I should have a different partner or my partner should treat me this way. Or, and, and the more I pour my mind energy into those thoughts, the more dissatisfaction and tension, judgment and false perceptions I generate. 
So there's a tremendous wisdom in this last paragraph. The problem with manifesting something the way we're taught to manifest is that it's all done through the intellect. I'm not asking to be shown what's mine to do. I'm not reminding myself about my purpose on the planet. I'm not aligning with my primary and secondary purpose of healing and then expressing uniquely through me this divine creative energy in the world in a way that feeds me and blesses myself and others. I'm not asking how to make that happen when I go into my intellect and I say, gee, I need a car. The world tells me a Mercedes is a really valuable car. Let me do what this manifesting teacher tells me and pretty soon I'll get a Mercedes. I'm stuck thinking that as long as I have this Mercedes, I have more value. And if something happens to the Mercedes or I can't afford the payments and it gets repossessed and then I'm without a car altogether or I have to drive a beater, then I think I'm less than, then I create the frustration and the negative thought patterns and the emotions that go with that, I'm stuck in a loop. The way of the heart is actually an invitation to walk out of the prison. The prison of thought, the prison of the intellect, the prison that we create when we make our conscious logical mind our savior or our master. And right there in the first lesson it says, please understand that the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. The intellect was never intended to be your master. It was intended to be a very simple tool that you pick up and use from time to time and put away when it's done. The heart, the awakened heart, is that part of consciousness that we all have access to, which feels all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and allows all things. The awakened heart is another way to talk about your direct awareness of the infinite, unbreakable connection between you and the forces that created you. Creation as a force does not judge its creations. It allows. It flows. It embraces. It trusts. It expands. It extends itself and thereby transcends itself. The way of the heart is an invitation to use your intellect very sparingly and to develop and strengthen the practice of returning to your awakened heart and asking to be shown from the connection that your awakened heart gives you to this higher wisdom, to this one mind, to the divine mind, to the Holy Spirit, to God, to light, to love, whatever you want to call it. And that means stepping out of what the culture would train you to do. So, this is lesson five. 
goes on and the text says, the way of the heart is about something other than what your culture would train you to and about something other than what your intellect will, will direct you towards. It says, allowance in this pathway means that you begin to view your life differently. Your life is not a struggle to get out of high school and create a career by which you can create golden coins, by which you can create the proper house in the proper environment, so that your ego feels, quote, successful, close quotes. And therefore... Your ego feels that it is worthy of love. The text asks, be honest with yourself. Is not your world built on such a premise as these? Quote, if only I can make my life look successful around me, then I will be accepted. Then I can love myself at least a little. Maybe I can get other people to love me. Close quotes. I think most of us raised in the Western world can honestly say that's what we've been conditioned to believe our life is for. And that's what we've spent a tremendous amount of our time, intelligence, money, and energy trying to make happen. This book says that is not it at all. This book says the way of the heart begins with the recognition that you are already loved by the only source that matters. That you have come forth from a much higher purpose than can be made manifest in the ways of the world. But it is, it, it is not of the world. It can be made manifest in the ways of the world, but not of the world. Allowance, here's the definition for allowance. Allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events of your life as stepping stones. To recognize how you have been trained to look at the events of your life as obstacles to getting what you want, when in reality they have always just been stepping stones. Each event in your life presents you with a blessing of the lessons that are required to heal those obstacles. They are not obstacles to success, but they are obstacles to your awareness of the presence of love as the source and ground of your being. Now, if you're trying to read along in Lesson 5 with me, I added a word here. I've changed a couple words as we've talked about in general through the reading of this. But I added the word here because this text reads, Each one presents you with a blessing of the lessons required to heal the obstacles, not to success, but to the presence of love as the source and ground of your being. But the teaching is, there is no obstacle to love as the source and ground of your being. There's only your awareness of it or you're creating a dream of separation from it. You're always connected to this energy of creation, to the presence of love, to the one mind. And it is the source and ground of your being. So I added the word that 
each event in your life presents you with a blessing of a lesson that's required to heal an obstacle, any obstacle to your awareness of the presence of love as the source and ground of your being. In the stage of allowance, the text goes on, in the stage of allowance we begin to cultivate an acceptance of all things in our experience. Allowance, acceptance, interchangeable here. We begin to see that because we've made a commitment to awakening and incarnating only the Christ mind, that the universe is already conspiring, which means to breathe together, to bring the people and events into our lives on a moment-to-moment basis. Those people and events that can best provide us with exactly what we most need to learn or become aware of. In Guy Finley's work, he spent a whole series of talks years ago talking about how the lessons we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of the events we don't want. And the only way we can learn the lesson is if we own the, re- the revelation. And the revelation is always about something within us that wants to block us from seeing how we are blocking our awareness of our connection to our source. The lessons we need to learn are always about our own internal dynamics. He goes on to say that the importance of any lesson for me is directly proportional to how much I do not want the lesson or the events that the lesson is riding in on. So the bigger the disruption the event is in my life, the bigger the lesson there is in it for me. The more I say I don't want something, the more important is the lesson in that something, for me, specifically. What's an example of that? Well, we have a group of friends. There's six of us, and we're going to go from um, Crystal Lake um, into Chicago on the train. It's going to take an hour and 20 minutes to get there. We know the train schedule. We plan to meet a half an hour early, have you know time to get our bags and everything and make sure that, because you know, we're going to go spend a whole day in, in Chicago. So there are six of us who meet for the train. And somebody says, hey, there's a popcorn stand over here. Let's go over and get some popcorn. We go over to get some popcorn and a drink. And while we're there, the train comes through early. And we miss our train. Now, there are six of us there. And two of us are just absolutely furiously angry. We never should have left. We never should have come over here. Now you've ruined the whole day. Two people are just fearful. What if we can't get into Chicago? What if all that money we spent for the tickets for this event we're supposed to go to, what if we... Now, the other two are just like, it's okay. I go in all the time. There's another train in 15 minutes. It's going to be fine. What if that train doesn't come? What if we... So, now the people who get angry, they have a lesson. 
that rode into their lives on the back of the event of missing that train. The people who got fearful, they have a lesson. It's a different lesson than the people who got angry. And that lesson rode into their lives on the back of the event of the train being missed. Of the two people that are getting worried, only one is a little bit worried, and the other one is terrified. So the importance of the lesson for the person who's terrified is bigger in their life than the lesson, the importance of the lesson for the person who's just a little worried. That's what this is talking about. Allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events of our lives as stepping stones to bring us home. Home to the awareness that we never left home, that we are always connected to our source. And in the stage of allowance, we begin to cultivate an acceptance of all the things in our experience. And we begin to see that because we've made a commitment to awakening and incarnating only the Christ mind, the universe is already conspiring to bring the people and events into our lives one moment at a time that can best provide us with exactly what we most need to learn to become aware of. Every time I get upset, it's an opportunity for me to unload some baggage. It's an opportunity for me to clear the windshield, so to speak, so I can see more clearly and directly that I'm in this world constantly connected to my source. And any upset that I generate is unnecessary. And it's a byproduct of judgment and false perception. See lesson three. Lesson three gives me a process for dismantling any false perception. It's called forgiveness. For dismantling any judgment, it's called forgiveness. So the text goes on and says, okay, so messengers are sent. You have asked. You've said, I want to go home. I want to awaken. I want to embody only Christ, the Christ mind. And so messengers are sent. The messenger could come in the form of someone whom you fall in love with. And there's something there for you to learn. It could be that you've been blocking yourself from feeling love for other people. And now someone finally comes that blasts down the door of your heart wall and you cannot help but feel the feeling of love. The messenger could be someone who comes as the grain of sand within the oyster that causes the friction within you, that nudges you from your sleep. And you realize that you've been operating out of some very dysfunctional patterns that, and now you have to get a better grip on the capital T truth of who you are. So, what anything that you would consider Joyful, happy, loving is an opportunity to learn about yourself. Anything that you would consider irritating, upsetting, frustrating is an opportunity for you to learn about yourself. The text goes on and says, it may be that you need to express your feelings more. It may be that you need to accept your own creativity more. Through your messengers that which causes you to finally be responsible and be honest about where you are 
will be brought up within you. For instance, if you think, well, I never get angry anymore. After all, I'm a very spiritual person. I just got out of the seminary, and I know all that now. So I will just go on living in heavenly bliss. And then events begin to happen. Perhaps, as an example, a gay couple moves into your neighborhood and you discover that you have some very deeply seated perceptions that there's something wrong with that sexual orientation. Those people are messengers sent to you by the universe to push you to look more deeply. Look where? Outside of you? No, inside of you, at your own thoughts, at your judgments, remembering that in Lesson 3, it says, if you understood what happens inside your body down to the physiology in your cells, every time you judge, you would never judge again. So these messengers are sent to you by the universe to help you look more deeply inside yourself at what you are holding a value, at what you are trying to believe rather than stay in the moment and, and observe and allow The text goes on and says, Allowance, then, is the cultivation of a quality of awareness in which you rest in the recognition that your life is no longer your own to dictate and control, but that rather you have given it over to the source, capital S, source of your own beingness. You've given it over to that depth of wisdom in the depth of of the ocean and that wisdom knows best how to bring about what is required to push up the dross from within your consciousness so you can release it to push up the baggage to push up the biases to push up the blind spots so you can release them the text goes on and says allowance cultivates trust. Allowance is the way in which intention and desire come to work ever more fully in the third dimension of your experience, the field of time. Allowance is a submission, but not a naive submission. Allowance changes your perception of what you see as the world around you. You begin to realize that you do not really live in a real world at all. You live in a field of vibrations and energies that is operated by the law of attraction or resonance. And you begin to be willing to allow certain things to fall out of your life, even family and friends, trusting that because your desire and intention are focused, and that's where you're pouring your mind energy, that whatever passes out of your life must be okay. For it will be replaced by new vibrational patterns which come in the form of messengers, events, persons, places, and things that can carry you on an upward spiral of awakening. 
allowance means the beginning stages of the cultivation of humility and the recognition that you must finally submit to something beyond the intellect, beyond the control of the egoic part of the mind. Because the maker and the doer that has been trying to do it all is finally recognized as inadequate. Guy Finley has a story he tells about a person who, searching for this enlightenment in this mountain, heard about a mountain spring, and she goes up there, and it looks like there used to be some water running here, but and and she, you know, calls out and gets on her knees and prays, and she thinks she hears this rumbling. Give me what I need. And so she devotes her life to this, going up there, hiking up there, this hidden forbidden place, and creates a little shrine and then increases the shrine and brings friends up there, and they're, they create a temple, and nothing works. There's no water. And finally, one day, she goes up there absolutely years later, and she's just absolutely devastated that the water of the fountain never comes, the enlightenment never comes, so she trashes the temple and falls down exhausted. And as she's sobbing, crying, falling asleep, passing out, she says, I don't know what you need. And she passes out. And then, when she awakens, the water is bubbling by her head. Guy Finley says, as a summary of that story, it is absolutely essential that every effort you make from your intellect and your egoic mind to know God, to reach home, to get enlightenment, etc. It's absolutely essential that every one of those fail. So you realize, just like, like this book just said, that the maker and the doer that's in your intellect that you've been programmed to try and figure it out with your conscious logical mind has finally been recognized as being inadequate. Guy Finley says, it's absolutely essential that everything you do, actively do to try to know God and to reach connection and get enlightenment, fail so that God herself can take you that final step, can come and open your eyes, the mind of your eyes, the heart, the awakened heart, to the awareness of the fact that you never left home, that you're the one with all of this trying and striving that's been creating the obstacles to your awareness of the connection that you crave. So another thing that's come to me over the years when I've read this chapter or this segment of this chapter on allowance is, what's allowance? It's not this active thing, right? It's this kind of a passive thing. So what can I do actively? Well, I can use my intellect to scan for the earliest warning signs of tightness or tension or judgment and then just cancel it, cancel the goals involved in it, cancel the energy, shift over to a loving thought, do a release exercise, that's the active thing I can do. The active thing I can do to move into allowance is to soften and breathe and release attachment to the value I have on this thought or that thought or that identification. So the allowance is this open space that occurs when I drop resistance, when I drop judgment, when I drop tension, 
when I drop the process of pouring my mind energy into a negative thought pattern. Breathing, softening, catching the earliest warning signs of a tension or a judgment or a resistance, and releasing it, that puts me in the space of allowance. I can't actively move into allowance, but I can start actively scanning for the indications that my use of my mind energy is blocking me from being in the state of allowance. I just recently had the release of an interview I did with Bill Sturley, and he wrote the book, The Emotional Sobriety Solution. And he has this very piece in his book. He says, look, what we want people to do in this work is to recognize there's no such thing as a good or bad emotion. It's just energy. It's just information. And it, it is a useful guide. It's a useful alarm system. It's a useful information system. It can help me understand when I have created a sense of a need and I've created a thought that I'm not getting that need met, and the more mind energy I pour into that thought that I'm not getting my need met, the more negative emotion I create. And when I start to feel that negative emotion, if I take that breath, turn the focus inside, and ask myself, okay, what is it I think happened? What am I making it mean? What's the need I'm saying isn't getting met? What's the emotion? I'm All right, now I'm in the realm of what I'm actually creating, and I can choose to create differently. I can choose practical steps to get that emotion, that emotional need met, or that need met and release that emotion. It's very much the same thing. I understand that my emotional energy system is a feedback loop. It's just there to help me wake up, to be aware of any time I have moved out of allowance into judgment, into criticism, into tension, into this desire to be right, into the intellect as my primary focus or my primary mode of interacting with the world. And that was never what it was intended to be. My primary mode of learning to interact with the world was always intended to be, teach me. I ask to be shown. I surrender. I allow. I want to learn from life. I want to learn from love. I want to learn from the flow of creation itself. Guy Finley has another talk where he says, it's this amazing thing in this world. Your creator puts you in a world where if you turn your attention to something, it must teach you about itself. If you ask, it will be given. You will be shown. If you demand... If you make proclamations, if you say it should be other than it is, if you're in judgment or tension, you don't learn, 
you don't grow, you create the false sense of separation, you create the experience of a psychological, emotional prison for yourself, and the spiral continues until you wake up and realize, Guy Finley says, your mind is just going to do what it always does, and it's going to keep doing it, thinking that if it keeps doing it, it's going to end your pain, but the mind will constantly keep doing what it does until it wakes up and realizes that it is the source of your pain, not the solution to your pain. And that's the same message as in the way of mastery. Your intellect, your mind was meant to be a very simple tool that you occasionally pull out and use. But your primary method of interacting with life, with love, with the flow of life itself, was intended to be your awakened heart. And what does the awakened heart do? You know, we read this earlier. What is it? How can I know I'm in the awakened heart rather than the intellect? It's like from page five of this book. The awakened heart is not the way of the intellect. So what does the awakened heart do? How do I know I'm in it? It's pretty simple. The, the heart is that which feels all things. We don't shut off our emotions. We don't try and throttle them down. We don't try to race through them. We feel them fully. This is one of the things that's in the 15 commitments of conscious leadership you you commit to feel all of your emotions fully through to completion to breathe to soften and feel them to get the information from them that's what the awakened heart does it is that which feels all things it embraces all things it trusts all things and it allows all things the heart is that in which the soul rests eternally. This is your ability to be aware of your connection to your source. And you have that ability, and your emotional system and your intellect could be properly seen or more usefully seen as the guidance system or the alarm system that lets you know when you're on target when you're using your allowance and surrender and embracing and asking to be shown as your primary mode of interacting with life and you're keeping that intellect that can judge things and discern this and that and figure that out, you're keeping that as a very useful tool in your pocket to be pulled out from time to time when the carburetor on your car needs adjusting or whatever or you need to find a way home alternately because they closed a road. But the essence of your life the primary way of dealing and interacting with life is far more fruitful if you engage allowance, surrender, questioning, accepting, embracing, trusting, and asking to be taught. So, Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. We are about to go into the fourth key to the kingdom, 
which, you know, a lot of people would say, well, how's that different than intention or allowance? But the fourth key to the kingdom is surrender. And the, the big difference here is caught in the first line. The text reads, as these three stages mature. In other words, you can't really get into surrender if you haven't done the first three stages. But if you're practicing tuning in to the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in each moment, that's always there. It's beating your heart and keeping your breath moving and digesting your food, etc. And you practice tuning into that and asking, so what do I really want in this moment? What wants to express through me in this moment? And then you practice noticing when you get distracted and you go, oh, that's that, that habit I've developed and that the culture has so strongly engendered within me of getting distracted from what's really of value in my life. Oh, look, a shiny bobble. Oh, look, a squirrel. Oh, look, another news story about somebody doing something horrible. Oh, that's a distraction. And I, I, I develop the process of intention by practicing becoming aware of my distractions and releasing them. And then, the third step. I keep that awareness going, scanning my mind and my body for the earliest warning signs that I'm creating a tension, that I'm creating a judgment, that I think I know I'm right and the world is wrong, or the person across from me is wrong. And I breathe and soften and release that attachment to being right. That puts me in that space of allowance. And as I practice those three things, this final stage of surrender begins to develop. And I start to rest into it. But only as the first three stages mature. Only as I recognize the proper role in my life for my intellect. Only as I cultivate questioning What's mine to do here? How can life teach me in this moment? What's the lesson that just rode into my life on the back of these events that I judge as wrong and I say I don't want and this should never have happened? Okay, wait a minute. Tightness, tension, let me go inside. Let me breathe. Let me soften. Let me use the Beatitudes. Let me breathe, feel it, and release it and let it go. The text goes on and says, and surrender means there is no longer any restlessness. Surrender means that you know through every fiber of your being that there really is no one here living a life. There is life, capital L, and that life is flowing through the body-mind personality for as long as the body-mind lasts. Here is where the mystical transformation is culminated or completed. It is here that you understand the meaning of the teaching, quote, I live, yet not I, but the Christ dwelleth as me. 
close quotes. Surrender is a stage in which perfect peace is the foundation, and it's not a foundation for passivity or inactivity, but it's a foundation for even more activity. Surrender is the place where you find yourself, as long as you are in the world, being busier and busier, and you're asked to do more and more. You become even more responsible. Eventually, you come to see that because you are manifesting the Christ mind, you are responsible for the whole of creation as the Christ mind. You come to see that you cannot think a thought without disturbing the farthest of stars. It is that responsibility from which you have shrunk and tried to contain yourself as a tiny myopic piece of foam, all because you feared being responsible for the whole. But the way of the heart corrects your perception so that you come to recognize that your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment is in totally, wholly, and deliberately accepting responsibility for the whole of creation. So here's that paradox. Why? Because you suddenly realize you're not the maker and the doer. And once you realize that you're not the maker and the doer, then you can accept responsibility for anything and everything because through you, as that completely wide-open, clear, transparent conduit, through you can flow all power under heaven and earth. And it then manifests the love of the creation. It manifests the creative force without the egoic distortion, without the judgment, without the fear, just wide open with allowance, surrender, trusting, embracing, breathing, softening. So in short, it's in the Creator's hands, not yours. This is why that, quote, quote, not my will, but thine be done, close quotes. That's why that quote is so powerful. My little egoic mind and what it wants is not important. Use me. Direct me. Teach me. Show me what I can't see from this tiny myopic space that comes with this little... In inlets of these five tiny senses that can't even see the entire light spectrum, that can't even hear the full spectrum of vibrations that we call sound. So the text goes on and reads, Desire, intention, allowance, surrender. But it is a surrender into a way of being that this world can never know. It is a surrender into a way of being in which you may never receive an Oscar for your acting. But it is a way of being in which your consciousness becomes totally open to your union with all of creation. You will talk with a leaf as it falls from a tree 
You will see the soul of the kitten that you pet. You will talk with the angels and masters, and you will be involved in board meetings in the high cosmic conference rooms. You will know that the body-mind you once thought was yours is little more than a temporary teaching device. It is a tool to be picked up and utilized at the Creator's direction and to be put aside when its usefulness is done. So that even when it is time to go through the transition that you know is death, nothing will disturb your peace. As the body makes that transition, or dies as we call it, which simply means that your attention begins to release itself from the body-mind unit, just as the hand of a carpenter is released from the handle of a hammer as it is laid down on the table on the way to dinner. As that happens, if you have developed the way of the heart, you will be able to watch the process with total equanimity and joy. You will watch your spirit disengage from the body. You will watch the body crumble into lifelessness so that all of your attention becomes focused on an entirely new dimension, a dimension that is so vast that you will be able to look down upon the earth plane, not unlike the way you might choose to hold a pebble in the palm of your hand. And in one quick glance, you will see everything about the pebble and nothing will be hidden from you. Surrender. Surrender comes into existence within you as you practice desire, intention, and allowance. And again, allowance is not an active thing, but scanning for tension and judgment is the active part. Breathing, softening, and releasing attachment to judgment and any negative perception, that's the active part. So that's all the time we have for today for our first hour. I'm assuming Michael and Jeannie will be here for the second hour. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Enjoyed listening to the reading today. Appreciate you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to this second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'm going to share with you. Last night we went over to Ryan, my son, and Gaddy's at Aria's house. And we breathed all three of them. And it was absolutely awesome. We had told Aria ahead of time, you know, what, what it was. Still point breathing kind of explained to her and how to breathe, you know, through her mouth and and circular breathing and and I said and if you get finished before mommy and daddy do I said you can you know get up real quietly and you can help us do energy work on them 
She's five years old, and she laid there the entire time. It was right at an hour, and she breathed. She did beautifully. And, you know, even as a, a child, you know, we could tell that she was going into her own little still points, and her legs would wiggle and her fingers would wiggle. But she laid there so wonderfully. It was amazing. And Ryan had, he stayed in still point more than he was out of it. And uh, Gabby had some awesome releases. And uh, we did, Michael and I rotated between the three of them doing energy work on them. And uh, when it was over, oh, and Michael would say, bring your breath up to your chest. He was talking to either Ryan or Gabby. And Aria would go, <gasps> and breathe real deep and bring up her chest. <laughs> and afterwards, um, when Gabby came back first, and then Aria, when she saw her mom was up, she sat up. And then uh, Ryan came in a few minutes later. But she said, are we finished? And I said, yeah. I said, that's it. And she goes, that was really nice. And so it was amazing to have breathed the entire family. And Michael's with us. I don't know if you want to add to that. That it was really sweet, you know, um, for her at the age of five, and she's an active, on-the-go uh, kid at five, for her to uh, just be there and breathe for an hour, just stay right with it. I expected her to you know, cut her breathing short, and uh, and she didn't. She just stayed with it for the whole time, and uh, so it was pretty, pretty sweet space, and uh, a nice gift for us to receive and to give. So, you know, when you understand the breathing work and, uh, and the energy field work, it's such an awesome gift to give someone. And you know, as with all of these tools. The objective is, or the, the recognition is, that this is something that anybody can do. This doesn't take some big, you've got to have six PhDs or anything else. It's a, a set of tools that are meant to be used by persons. And it's interesting. I was actually just watching this morning. You know, We do a lot of YouTube time for our garden, and I was watching a thing on, uh, on uh, ladybugs and the woman who's doing the research, they're trying to synthesize, to discover and synthesize the ladybug scent, which tends to drive aphids away from crops. And she gave, when they said, well, why are you doing this? And they gave a whole list of reasons. But the real reason is, because there's somebody who's going to make money off of it, they discover something that will replace the ladybug, there'll be a buck in it. And sadly, that's become true about things spiritual, things healing, like you have to be a specialist, you have to have, you know, this and that. And, you know, if you look at most um, societies, uh, professional societies, one of the main objectives of them is to make sure that competition stays out. <laughs> we, we own this. And this is something we're really clear belongs to humanity, belongs to anyone and everyone who chooses to put it to work. So we're here to support and here to make the tools available. And uh, I was thinking that uh, with Aria that, you know, earlier in her life we have breathed her 
but it's mostly just been by breathing in her ear and us being in that connected breath space and just being with her. I think maybe, oh, two or three times we've actually done a still point session with her. This is the most extensive. And so I can see her growing into someone who will be giving that gift to many, many people in the future. So it's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So we're delighted that you're here to be part of our process. And hopefully, Blog Talk has ironed out its problems. It seems like maybe we're back on track with them. And uh, I don't think, Jeannie, I don't think we've really heard any explanation about what has been going on yet, have we? No, that's one thing that I really like about Podbean is they actually send me an email back with logical answers. And the only thing that I have gotten, yeah, when I had actually written, you know, to Blog Talk and was like, you know, is this just our show or whatever? Please give me an explanation. And their answer back was, we apologize for the issue and inconvenience it may cause. Troubles with connecting to Blog Talk Studio Direct Connect have been resolved, which they had previously told me it was to dial in that way, and I wrote back and said it doesn't work. And then um, let us know if you're still having difficulties. And they gave, gave no explanation as to what was going on. And so that was brought up some frustration for me. God, opportunity to learn forgiveness. How cool is that? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, I'm still pursuing. I mean, I've put in, you know, I don't know how many hours into the Podbean, and I'm still pursuing it. And, you know, we may run both simultaneously for a while. I tried yesterday to run a microphone and actually leave my phone on, uh, like, speakerphone and see if I could do it that way. But there's too much noise between the you know, kind of like a squelch or a feedback or something. And so that doesn't work. And I did ask them, is there a way that we can connect and run them both simultaneously? And I haven't got an answer on that one yet. But I think they're a good backup to have. And we've already been accepted by several other radio stations through uh, Podbean. And so I think it would get us out there a little further than what we're doing right now anyway. We'll see. Yeah. Just stay cool. tuned, look at your email that I sent explaining how to go ahead and have Podbean on your phone. And that way, you know, if one day you try to call in and Blog Talk's not working, we'll have the ability then to immediately switch over and do the other one. So you need to have it already set up and click that you're following us. And actually yesterday when um, I clicked as if I were doing a live show on Podbean and it gave me a message on my other you know, tablet, another phone, that it had gone live. So if you're already signed up and you click that you're following us on that, then if we do have a live show on it, it will send you a message and say, My Shifters Radio on Podbean is now live. So then you know, you know, you can just click right over it to a really nice reminder for people to turn on their podcast. And if you're not on their email Sweet. list and you didn't get that email, 
you know, you can drop me a line at genie at whyagain.org and I will add you to the mailing list. And you can also go to our website and under the section that says multimedia, there is a link that says news, um, newsletters. And you can click there and the link to all of the newsletters or emails that we have sent out is still there. So you can click on any of them you missed and get up to date. Cool. So do you have anybody out there with a hand up in the phone queue or anything happening in the chat room, sweetie? No, it's all quiet. Um, I had read something to you this morning, and you said for me to read it on the show. So oh, yes, go ahead let's and do read that. that. Please, um, let's read it. I don't know the person that wrote it. The credit's given to someone named Carrie Solomon, but it's a good lesson for all of us to take in. She says, as I was pulling into work, I was following this car, and the sign in the back window said, quote, I'm learning to drive stick. Sorry for any delays. Unquote. Talking about stick shift. Knowing this information, I was very patient with their slow shifting, and honestly, they were doing pretty well for still being in the learning phase. Then I asked myself a tough question. Would I have been just as patient if the sign hadn't been there? I can almost definitely say no. We don't know what someone's going through. We don't wear signs that illustrate our personal struggles. You don't see signs taped to a person's shirt that says going through a divorce or lost a child or feeling depressed or just diagnosed with cancer. If we could read visually what those around us are going through, we would definitely be nicer. But we shouldn't have to see signs or have a reason to treat strangers with kindness. We should do it anyway, whether we know what's going on or not, whether we think they deserve it or not. Let's give everyone an extra dose of patience, kindness, and love, and have a happy and healthy new year. Powerful lesson, simple. Inspiration to function out of and as the power of the presence of love. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that this morning. It was sweet to just be with those thoughts. I've had a couple of conversations with people who have been asking questions about codependence, and so I thought I might review a couple of the ideas or the basis of the whole codependence to interdependence intensive that we do in the worksheet that, well, we have two worksheets out of that workshop. One is the codependence to interdependence uh, worksheet, and then we have our person worksheet. And... Our, our, our simplest definition, actually, the definition of a codependent relationship is exactly the same as our definition of denial. Whenever I think or speak as though something inside of me is the cause of what's moving in me, and that causes, or pardon me, that something outside of me is the cause of what's moving in me, then I'm in denial, which means I have to dissociate and hide from myself the truth. Codependence does exactly the same thing. When I've been in a codependent relationship, you made me feel this way. I have to hide from the real cause of my feeling, and I get to live in the lie that my mind tells me. Now, recall that there are three things that happen that cause this power person dynamic to be instilled in a person's mind. And basically, it is, has been so instilled in the world mind that virtually everyone, every communication that you hear, 
comes from a place, space of codependence, comes from a space of projection communication. You know, the, in the intensive, the communication part of that workshop is entitled communication, did you hear what I think I said? And most people use words to describe you know, when they're in that codependent state or in the de denial, we're in the place where you made me mad. Mad is an image painted on the inside of their eyeballs, hallucinated by the mind, and they use words to try to convince the person that they're projecting that on that it's their responsibility that this is moving. So they, they speak the lie that their power person spoke to them. So let's retrace that. Three things occur. One, power person had more power over the, the child's life than the child did themselves. And, and it's usually a parent and a child, although not necessarily. It can happen in adulthood, too. So that's number one. The parent has more control than the child. Two, the parent or the senior partner in the codependence event is not functioning as a human being, is not functioning out of love. And three, the child perceives that situation as survival. When those three things occur simultaneously, that child's energy field opens when you think of them as being an energetic being. You know, if we listen to Einstein, Einstein says this, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses, there is no matter. Here's probably one of the greatest scientific minds of all time telling us there is no matter. And, of course, everybody looks around and goes, wait a minute. we got a whole world of matter out there. Look at it. Well, everything that you think you're looking at with your eyes is a picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs by your brain. There's nothing actual about it. They are images that are useful for your survival, they're useful for moving forward, but they're not true. And especially when you're blaming somebody else, and, and virtually everybody in our culture, by the age of four, the culture is so descended into blame that virtually every member that grows up in other than a fully conscious family is a card-carrying member of the one world religion of blame. That's like the State of the Union. If we had a State of the Union address and we were to assess how many people of the 200 and, or 350 million or so people there are in America, probably an accurate address would say that 349 million 999 1,996 of them are one world, members of the one world religion of blame. It's all somebody else's fault. So when you're looking at a picture in your mind, you're looking at a thing called perception. Which is the Course in Miracles. The Course in Miracles says, perception is a skill made up by you to take the place of what the Creator gave you in creation. So the Creator gave us actuality multi-quadrillion-bit world, who knows how many bits of data are there, and the brain gives us a picture based in nine bits of data. 
So perception replaces the experience of the world as the world actually exists. Now, when one has accepted or unconsciously this power person dynamic has been built within them, for the rest of their lives, their behavior will be controlled by that power person dynamic. And in fact, there are only three behaviors possible for that individual. And the three behaviors, which one is playing out at any given moment, depends on the level of stress that someone's under. When there is little or no stress, we will do whatever we did to get along with our power person. When stress starts to build, we'll do whatever we did to resist and survive with our power person. When we become ultra-stressed, we'll do the, pers- the behavior that the power person did to us that we hated the most. So that runs the world. So when I'm trapped in a power person dynamic, this person in my life, you know, maybe my power person has been gone from my, from the world for many years, but this person in my life does a behavior that resonates a thought disorder that was implanted by my power person. The message, the lie, remember, whenever perception is described as accurate about anything other than the exter- the internal world, you've now entered into a lie. So whatever is painted on the inside of your eyeballs is always true about you. It may accidentally, incidentally be true about the world, but you know for sure that it's true about you. When you then insist that what, you're, what is happening in your perceptual world is caused by someone else, what will happen is it will sound like your voice speaking the lie that you were told by your power person and you're telling it to someone else as though it's true about them. The very thought disorder that you were lied to by your power person about, you will now... And and again, it will sound like your voice, but what it will really be is your power person's voice coming through you. And that's how a power person implants a thought disorder in the child's mind. So when that thought disorder is resonated by someone, and, you know, this is the whole core of why we engage in the forgiveness process, because when you become conscious of the thought disorder that was implanted by your power person because your power person was talking to you about their perception and trying to convince you that their perception was true about you. When you try to convince someone else that the words describing the picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs are true about them, then the truth is it's your power person's voice coming through.
take a second to breathe on that and have it sink in. So the mind will believe the lie that it's being told, it's being painted on the inside of its eyeballs, because that lie is a product of a thought disorder and an energy that was absorbed in interaction with the power person. And my offering is the reason why we give those messages to others, and I think this is a really key point in the whole process as far as healing goes, is when we tell someone the perceptual lie about how we can see clearly that what's going on in us is caused by them, it's an unconscious attempt to resolve the lie that your power person told you about yourself. And when you start doing worksheets around that, when you start doing the codependence worksheet, when you step into responsibility communication, one of the other tools, one of the other ways to resolve this is that in responsibility, in the world's standard projection communication, you made me, you shift into, this is what's happening in me, I recognize it's mine, and I recognize you've triggered it, and you probably are the person who's carrying the salve that can help me heal this, would you support me? Another way to turn the whole game around and to take responsibility for the lie and the unconscious effort to try and rectify this assault once again. And those types of assaults are often quite difficult to work through because they are so deeply embedded in the mind. You know, we did the the, uh, the codependence to interdependence communication practicum intensive that's available as a self-study was uh, two 14-week intensives. One of them turned into a 17-week. We actually added an extra three weeks to that intensive because this power person dynamic was opening up and we ended up, you know, the, the power person worksheet for 25 years of me teaching that work was a one-page worksheet. It's now a 14-page worksheet because we really delved into how do you unwind the mind that's stuck in such a lie that a person, I mean, they really believe it. It it ties back to, remember, one of the dynamics of the power person situation being instilled in the first place is the child believes it's survival. So when that's up, it's survival. And to change the mind in the middle of a survival experience is a really intricate and difficult thing. And it was a result of doing two of the codependence to interdependence intensives back-to-back that we we were able to open up and move from that one sheet, one-page worksheet to literally to 14 pages that are about unwinding every aspect, being able to observe. Remember, we've talked over and over again about becoming the thinker apart from the thought, the actor apart from the actions, the feeler apart from the feelings. And so that worksheet is designed to empower you to step back and really unwind those parts of your mind. So recognizing that perception 
as the Course says, is a skill made up by you. And, you know, how can we tell it's made up by the individual? Well, stand 10 people in front of an event, and let's see if any two of them were at the same event. Each one of them, their perception, the construct of their minds will be different. You know, you take them into a courtroom after the accident and, and somebody swears, you know, the person who's got the prejudice against women drivers swears that the woman driver was the one who went through the red light, when the fact is it was the guy that went through the red light. But the person who has a prejudice against women drivers, their mind only paints a picture that shows them things that are consistent with what they believe. And if you haven't noticed, you'll you'll kind of observe if you just look around, virtually everybody has a different belief system. Everybody's got different BS. And unwinding that so that everyone ultimately is alleviated of perception. Remember, perception in the ancient teachings... And the man Yeshua says, don't judge by appearances. Perception is an appearance. Perception is a picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs. And, and I mean, if you talk to 99.9% .9 of the world and say, did you know that you've never seen anything with your eyes in your life? They'll look at you and you know, they'll talk to you and think you're nuts. But that's a proven fact. I mean, in the laboratory, they've proven you can't see with your eyes. <laughs> you can't do it. Everybody goes, oh, I looked out through these eyes and look at what I saw. What you saw was your mind's replication of its content projected into your brain's image of the world. And remember that the deeper the stress is, the deeper the opportunity will be to take responsibility for and heal the power person dynamic. So little or no stress, you'll do what you did to get along. With you. I, I guarantee, just look at your life. Here's how your life runs. When you're not under stress, you do whatever you did to get along with your power person. And if you were Mr. or Ms. Nice Guy, you'll notice that when you're not under stress, you're Mr. or Ms. Nice Guy. That's your normal persona or personality. Virtually everybody in our culture suffers from multiple personality disorder. When, they're under, when there's little or no stress, things are rocking, Mr. Ms. Nice Guy. When stress starts to build, people will do what they did to resist and survive with their power person. So now, somebody you've only known in the 10 years you've known them as Mr. Ms. Nice Guy, all of a sudden, ultra-stressed or pardon me, not ultra-stressed yet, but increased stress. And the person who's always been Mr. Ms. Nice Guy has a personality change, and they become Mr. Ms. Snarky. And you look at them and you go like, we've been married for 10 years, well, well, what happened? I've never seen this. It's been there all along, there just hasn't been enough stress to bring it up. And then... When the third level of stress happened, when people are ultra-stressed, that's when the automatic decision kicks in, decision system, pardon me, kicks in, and people are forced by their own minds to do what their power person did to them that they hated the most. And 
oftentimes when they do that, they will go unconscious and have no memory of it. That's, that's a sign of a true multiple personality disorder. Now, we all have different personas in different circumstances. Nice guy, Mr. Snarky, and then let's say when ultra-stressed, the power person was a physical abuser and all of a sudden someone's ready to take their fists out and beat somebody up. How did one go from Mr. Nice Guy or Ms. Nice Guy to Mr. or Ms. Snarky to Mr. or Ms. Physical Abuser or Mental Abuser or Emotional Abuser? All you need to do is crank the stress up. This is one of the reasons to do worksheets on a regular basis because you'll notice that the reason or the cause of all stress is a goal in your mind. And you'll notice the core of the worksheet of the forgiveness process is about canceling goals, reducing stress, moving away from those old power person dynamics back to the truth of who you are. So you're not being run by your mind anymore. You're being run from the level of being. You're being run from your soul. You've actually opened choice rather than functioning out of the decisions of the past. So when you're in that state, ultra-stressed, you're speaking the thought disorders that your power person's mind told them was true about you, and they passed it on to you, and then they try to convince that it was convince you that it's true about you. I.e., there's something wrong with you. And the, and the first, you know, message that usually comes from a power person is something to the effect of you're broken. I was speaking to a physician the other day. He's been doing this work for about 35 years, and he had just this monumental opening this past weekend. He was on the phone with me for about two hours processing a mega major opening that took him into the direct experience of his life from a state of being because he was able to collapse that power person dynamic. And it was just like mind-boggling for him. In fact, as a result of it, uh, we're talking about maybe going down to uh, Sarasota in March and doing a one-week practicum there, a one-week intensive at his center. May. Pardon me, May. Yes, thank you, sweetie. So if you're interested in doing um, a, a pretty deep, intensive practicum. Actually, he does a lot of alternative-type medicine, a lot of really amazing treatments. And uh, if you're interested in doing that, put it on your calendar for last week. Maybe we haven't confirmed it yet, but we're talking about it. So under stress, the message that you hated, but incorporated into your perception of yourself in the world, you speak to someone else, which unconsciously, if you can be the observer of your own hostility and fear-based states, gives you the opportunity to see when you were told what you were told and to recognize that it's not true. You were told it was true about you, your power person's lie. And, and we're not talking about a lie that somebody sits down and thinks, I think I'll tell a lie. It's, it's 
about I would I would estimate probably 99.999% of the time it's just a power person message has gone from generation to generation to generation and if you can step back from your mind if you can breathe each time you forgive you know these these energetic patterns come with a certain amplitude you know if I'm sitting around and I want to be in a quiet space and somebody comes in and turns on a radio it can be difficult for me to be in that meditative quiet space the louder the volume gets the more difficult it is to me for me to stay centered in my own mind and in that meditative space forgiveness when you apply it to these power person dynamics each time you apply it literally weakens the intensity or the amplitude of that energetic pattern in your mind so that the next time it fires it's a little weaker and the next time it fires it's a little weaker yet and the next worksheet it's a little weaker yet again until you get to the point where you can stay centered in being and observe your own mind in operation and recognize that perception can only begin to give us the edges of the truth your hostility and fear-based content the lies you've been told have been resolved that you've been freed of them and of course when you tell this object of your attention your lie you're under stress and you put out a message that your power person gave you that you pass on you will interpret that well they just misunderstood you they didn't understand what you were saying because of course you never passed on a lie to them you never did the behavior that your power person did to you to them that would just be too hard to bear too much to bear and so you put it in the arena of well you just didn't understand it's like excuse me if you were speaking from hostility fear degradation condemnation fear-based thought what could go wrong based thought you're probably speaking from a power person dynamic and yeah you can bring that all down to well you see they didn't understand you'll notice how many times in your life if if that's the way you play it you notice how many times in your life there's always been someone who you understood but they didn't but if you just watch your mind if you listen if you'll just even for a moment breathe and and collapse just one goal then you'll create an opening where some of those old dynamics will start to come up and you'll start to have some at least edges of the memories where your power person played that same game out with you and if you follow that thread you'll get to the root of that conflict from within your relationship So as we recognize how that dynamic works, it's it's just I mean, literally, again, everything in the world is run by it. 
business, government, church, family, community. That's the dynamic. Those three behaviors are the limit on virtually every mind you see until one resolves this power person dynamic within themselves. And as far as I know, on planet Earth, this power person dynamic has never been fully explained or understood until this work of codependence to interdependence came about 25 years ago. Just nowhere I've seen it on the planet. We get clues about it. In the scriptures, they talk about, look to the lives of the fathers, far as but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. The sins of the fathers will be passed the unto truth. They allude to it, but they get down to the very specifics of how stress causes the mind to use those messages which were lies and integrate those lies into your brain's image of others that you're blaming and passing the lie on. That's how the world gets dulled down until being no longer has a space to express, no longer has a space to function in the world. And so one of the objectives of this work is to open the space where it gets safe enough. In every circumstance, to breathe, to own, and to move through, to be able to receive feedback from the world without going into a huff and pointing the finger at them, just to receive the feedback and go, hmm, well, let me look at that. Rather than, you don't understand, this is your fault. Notice how your power person, you don't understand, this is your fault. And most people's whole lives are run by it. I mean, I don't care whether you're 12 or 90, most people's lives are run by that. And if you'll do the work on an ongoing basis of keeping your stress down through forgiveness, then there'll be less and less inclination to move into that level of of insanity and more and more of an ability will develop because you'll, you'll step into a strengthened awareness of yourself as the presence of love and apart from the perceptions in your mind and apart from the image in your mind of who you thought you were. So that's, at least in part, what we're here to do is to make those tools available, make that understanding available, and to give people a logical path to doing their work. So I hope that fits and it makes sense. And we're down to about 20 minutes. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with the hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it is all quiet. So someone press 1. We've got 20 minutes. Well, if you're out there in listener land, I'm complete with my thoughts, with my monologue. So what's on your mind? Tell us what's happening. How can we support you? Our call-in number, if you're in one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. Call that number, and you'll be listening to the show directly. And if you push one, we'll be having a conversation. So push one. Let's have a conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Maybe you're out there and we haven't talked to you in a long, long time. 
push one, say hello. What's on, tell us what's on your mind. What are you working on? What's happening in your world? What's your new year going to look like? How is your work going? What question do you have about any of the worksheets? What's a success you've had with the tools that you could share with us to inspire others? And are you breathing? We are going to begin on the 15th of this month, 15th of January. It's amazing to think it's 2024 already. But we're going to begin a study of, we're working with, the book Enlightenment, which is what we've published so far from the Kabor's manuscript on the Aramaic language. And it's a text that's broken down into three parts. One tells a story about the finding of the Kabor's and some of what it's about. It's called the Kabor's manuscript because it was found in a, in a monastery on the Kaibor River in Turkey. The second section of the book is some select passages from the New Testament. And then the third section is a first century dictionary. One of the things that the 25 Aramaic translators, some of the world's top Aramises back in the, the time when the original translation work was done, which was back in the 70s, one of their directives was to do the best they could to establish the first century meanings of the Aramaic words. And so the third section of the book is an Aramaic dictionary where we look at the first century meanings of those words. And so if you think you might want to participate that in, in, in that study and participate in a, a deeper way, then we've uh, set it up so that if you want to purchase the Enlightenment book, which is $25, you can actually purchase it for $26 and we'll pay the shipping. Shipping fee that's added by the uh, programming in the in the uh, website is uh, $9. So we'll pick that up so that you get the best price possible. And so if you would like to get a copy of that for the beginning point of our work with the Kaboris, you can go to our website, which of course is www.whyagain.org. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see a, a donate button. If you go to the donate button and donate that $26, and just don't do it through the catalog because if you do that, it automatically uh, puts shipping in it and that creates a problem for us. So if you just put it in the donate button and then put a note that gives us your name, and your address and the enlightenment book, then we'll know that's what the what the donation is for. And we'll get it off to you right away and hopefully you'll have it before we get started with that whole conversation. If you already have the enlightened book, of course dig it out. You might start doing a little reading now. Get the brain cells firing from you know when you first got it, if you did some reading of it and uh 
We'll see what unfolds by working with the Enlightenment book. And if you're ready to take your work to the next level, you might want to order the self-study course on codependence to interdependence in the communication practicum. That series of videos, that's actually two full 16-day or 17-day intensives, pardon me, 14-day intensives. The second one of the 14 days became a 17-day because of the extra work we did in the arena of codependence. That whole package of videos is available, along with an additional two videos on the understanding of the personal code evaluation, and you get an initial personal code evaluation, and then on completion of the course, you get a post-personal code evaluation. And that gives you specific, tailored to your mind and where your best learning opportunities are, a set of tools and input for proceeding through the whole study course. Again, it's 90 hours of video. You know, if you like an hour of what we're doing here, we went through a systematic process of 90 hours of unfolding why is this happening to me again, moving into healing through relationships, moving into codependence and the communication process, and uh, mind shifters and still point breathing. So that's the whole 90-hour course. And you get all of the questions and answers process. You know, everybody that participated in the course knew we were recording it for publication. And so if... Uh, if we came across something that was ultra-private, that somebody said, oh, I don't want to record this, we would have stopped, although that never happened. So you got the whole thing, all of the interaction, all of the questions, answers, everything that uh, unfolded through two really powerful intensives that really opened a lot of space. Actually, the communication worksheet grew significantly out of that after 25 years of it being the same as did the power person worksheet. So the tools have been refined. So all of that's available if you're interested in taking your work to the next level. The cost of that whole package is $600. And of course, your support will be that we're here five days a week, so as questions come up, as you step into process and need support through the codependence work, we're here to support you in that. And once again, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Let's have a conversation about it. How can we support you? What's on your mind? And if we have no questions, no thoughts, everybody's out there, everything's clear as a bell, no questions about anything, then uh, let's, let's look at a kind of a secondary view of this power person dynamic because the, the primary what I'll call an active power person dynamic is when your power person in this state of being ultra stressed delivers their perceptual lie 
to you about you, that's a direct power person message. And again, because it's usually with small children and this is the authority and it's survival, that child's energy field just opens. They become literally like a sponge and just suck in all of the energy in the environment, spoken and unspoken energy. They just become a sponge for taking that information in. And then that information becomes the foundation of the perceptual output of the mind. And whenever one is in that state of denial or codependence, they're literally creating additional unconscious data in their minds or playing out of unconscious data. And so the unconscious dynamic in their lives tends to grow and grow and grow until people just function unconsciously. They're just like a reactive automaton. It's just, you know, brain cells, fire, boom, that's it. But there's also a, a secondary or what I call a passive form of power person dynamic, and that is that there's an interaction that happens and a person makes up the message themselves out of the situation and it becomes a governing point in their lives. Actually, there was an interesting uh, series on television back Oh, I don't know, probably watched this two years ago, and that's where this understanding came in for me. Was, you know, I had not really recognized, and this was actually during the one of the intensives we were doing, so it was kind of like everything just came together to go, oh, here's another piece of the puzzle. So the uh, TV series was called Madam Secretary, and this man uh, is or he's a, he's a young boy and his father is killed in a car wreck and his mother is dying the child the, thir- the child of 13 is in the car with him during the accident and the child the, the young boy is trying to save his mother and of course through no fault of his own cannot the mother's been too seriously injured but trying so hard and being so emotionally attached to the goal of saving her he gives himself a message that functions again as a passive power person message of oh I'm a failure I'm incompetent I can't do this when life demands something of me I can't do it So what story do you tell yourself that keeps you in, trapped in, an hostility or fear-based power person dynamic? Or what story, you know, that's, that would be for the passive power person dynamic, and for the active, what story did your power person tell you to convince you? And, and it's probably a story you heard over and over and over and over again. So what story did your power person tell you about you that convinced you that their conclusion about you must have been true? And it can be, you know, things like this boy, I'm a failure, when crisis happens I can't meet the demand you know could have 
many different forms. Or if it had been himself, just using that as an example in the accident, and you know, and he survived it, then the message he might give himself is that I have to stay in control to survive, to do this to survive. You know, maybe he went into some form of a rage because there were attackers coming, then then the message might be, I have to stay in control or I have to use rage when threatened. If someone inhibited this young man from saving his mother, then it might have been, you know, the blame game of someone else is to blame for this. Even my best support isn't good enough. My best self isn't good enough. Those kinds of messages that ultimately need to be forgiven. And so it it behooves oneself to begin to question, first of all, to be able to own that. I've watched people who, you know, are at very high professional levels and they simply cannot admit to themselves that, you know, well, but my family was so different. I I never had a power, but no, that never happened to me. And they're just, you know, constitutionally incapable of owning the truth of it. Even though, you know, a behavior, a repeated pattern of behavior happens and someone points out that repeated pattern of behavior and yet that person goes, no, no, not, not, can't be. Whenever hostility fear, attack in any mode comes up, you know that there's a power person dynamic behind it. And stepping into, you know, when they said to Yeshua, well, you know, Peter says to Yeshua, how many of these worksheets do I have to do anyway? Is is seven enough? And Yeshua's response is no. Basically his response is a higher number and an infinite number of worksheets until you're finished with this particular process in your mind is what you're going to do. And to, because these dynamics go in with such a high energy charge, such a high emotional charge, it takes clearing off a layer, clearing off a layer, clearing off a layer, clearing off a a layer until, you know, you can step back. I use the example of, you know, somebody coming in the room playing music until you can actually stay connected inside your own mind and ignore the music, ignore the message that your mind is giving you that's based in that highly charged, painful, emotional power person dynamic. Whenever there's pain being served up by the body-mind unit, there's always a power person dynamic behind it. What's the goal in any given situation that's driving your pained perception. You've got to, in order to, to become free of that, you've got to cancel the goal that's driving that pain perception so that the pain perception can collapse. Sometimes people get that backward and they'll talk about collapsing the goal. No, you don't collapse the goal. You cancel the goal, and as a result of canceling the goal, the pained perception collapses because the perception is driven by that goal. And so whenever you're 
inclination is there to attack another, to blame another. That's the root. That's the basis of a warning signal that it's time to step back and observe your mind in operation and start to change what it forces you to do, how it forces you to feel, how it forces you to act. If you find yourself acting against your own will and choice, it's because there's a power person dynamic in there. And again, whoever you point your verbiage at is the person you're blaming. And then your power person's voice will speak through you. It will sound like yours, and you'll deliver to them the lie that your power person delivered to you. There's something wrong with you. Why aren't you doing it the way I told you? If your power person was always pointing out a a danger to you or always letting you know that you were broken, then your messages to others will always be about danger or they're broken. You know, why did you, what's wrong with you? Why did you do, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? There can be a million things right with you. Jeannie has a statement that goes, I I don't remember exactly the numbers you used, sweetie, but talk about, you know, there can be a hundred, a hundred attaboys and all it takes is one judgment of negativity and all the attaboys are driven away. So we invite you to contemplate these dynamics. The uh, Reality Management Worksheet is on our website. If you go to whyagain.org, in the upper left-hand corner, there's a link that says Start Here. That will introduce you to the forgiveness process. If you go to your app store on your phone and type in the words Heartland, H-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic Forgiveness, you'll be looking at the world's only forgiveness app. Download it. You can do the worksheet process right there on your phone. And if you need support, Five days a week, from noon till 2 o'clock Eastern Time, we'll be here. Hope your day's blessed. Thanks for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings.